We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Roto Grinders today. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender Ed, Blender HD. You can follow me on Twitter. And it's Friday, February 2nd. We'll be taking a look at tomorrow's 13 fight MMA slate, as well as tonight's uh, NBA slate and props, pick them, daily fantasy. All you need to know uh, going into the weekend. We'll be talking about the Super Bowl a lot next week, but join with me, who uh, will be on uh, MMA Crunch Time tomorrow to talk more about the slate. It's uh, John Breslin, AKA Squirrel Patrol. And I don't want to call it a, like it's, I know it, it's a crappy slate. It's a quote crappy slate, but I like the, I like the fight night low level. Like this, it's a 13 fight card. Hopefully they'll have the weigh-ins and everyone and all the fights will still be on. Cause I like that extra, the extra option. So we get a little less duplication, but I like these types of slates because I think the key word, is variance here because it's low level stuff for the most part. And there's a lot of fights that are under two to one. I think there's a lot of ways to go. And I don't think you're going to be comfortable with anything that you play. It's going to be one of these cards where you could you show me a lineup with like, with any of the fighters. I mean, I don't think anyone is, is off limits at all. Uh, some people would consider that like making, difficult or crappy but for large field gpps i love these types of cards yeah i we're actually we're on the exact same page with the the fight card um i I did describe it as like a crappy slate it is it's low level but it's wide open so it's actually really interesting for for dfs uh and i agree i kind of prefer this kind of slate because you always see like ownership is going to like consolidate around a few fighters you know a lot of times it's like line equity oh like you know the the line flipped, you know, from plus 110 to minus 110 on the spider. And he's, you know, 8,000 instead of 8,200. And some of the guys got like 60% ownership. It's like, well, he's, you know, he's only like 50% to win the fight. Um, and so we'll see some, some, uh, you know, some ownership, you know, concentrate around certain fighters. But it is about a wide open fight card, as I can remember. Um, you have a couple, like really with one really strong favorite in Talia Silva. She's the most expensive fighter on the slate. Uh, historically hasn't like scored that well unless she gets the first round knockout. 
uh, or first round via submission. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, other than that, uh, and, and she's no not projected for much ownership. So you can actually make an argument to like go over the field on her. Right? She's like going to get fifteen percent ownership. Um, everybody else, I think, is between like a seventy, um, you know, and fifty-five percent chance to win. All of the favorites are. Uh, that's you know that, that's basically a, a point flip. Um, so and not not a bunch of fighters that are like you know fifty-fifty to get a first-round finish or anything like that. I think the best uh, first-round finish odds go to Grimbo. Um, yeah, Denver Grimbo. He'll um, he'll probably get you know pretty strong ownership. Uh, I think 43% is a little bit high. We've got him uh, at 43%. I would probably be under that because I I think it's a it's a wide open card. I'm a little bit worried on these you know these lower level cards. You sometimes get more weight. This is like I mean some of these fighters are like fairly professionals. So um, so you know they may not make the weight. Um, but you know UFC's kind of I think been putting a little bit more pressure on them to uh, to even accept the fights even. If uh, the opponent misses weight by full pounds, so um, hopefully we stick it at the full thirteen fights. Um, but yeah, it should be an entertaining card. You know, there are worse ways to spend a uh, Saturday afternoon, Saturday night than than watching the fights, even if they're a little bit lower level. Well, it's going to end early because I mean this is a four p.m. Eastern card, so you'll be out of there by by ten p.m. Uh, one of the things that obviously you see on the screen, this is our lineup HQ here at Roto Grinders with the uh, fantasy point median projections, as well as our projected ownership, which, um, uh, which will, will change money ball 16. will 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 change the ownership. This is just our preliminary ownership. And also remember that, you know, median fantasy points is not like, yeah. like, remember, these are very bimodal debt distributions. These are not normal distributions. So simply one person having, you know, three, four points higher median. Like I almost said to me, the medians don't even, don't even really matter in, in MMA, yeah. especially in GPP. Uh, but one of the tools that, that you like looking at that will be out later today, in addition to the Ground and Pound podcast and all of our premium content for MMA, remember that you know the, this show and tomorrow's Crunch Round are the only like free parts of our MMA content here at Roto Grinders. So click on that link in the description. Get $10 off your first month of premium subscription to Roto Grinders. But one of the, the tools that, we want to look at is the sim tool, right? We have, we have simulation tools for MMA and what Jimino will do is take, take our models, run out the slate 10,000, hundred thousand times and show like how often is this fighter in the optimal lineup compared to their ownership. And the thing that I like a lot, John, about MMA and showdown for NFL is that in other sports, like when we talk about baseball, we talk about basketball, we have these larger slates, NFL slates, where, okay, here's the chances of this, this player being in the optimal lineup. Well, most of the time, you don't need the optimal lineup. Like, just, yeah, yes, it is a signal, but it isn't that big of a deal. You don't need, you don't need to score a million points in order to win. You don't need the actual optimal in baseball, especially. But in MMA and NFL showdown, if you're playing large field contests, more times than not, the actual optimal lineup is the winning lineup and sometimes duplicated multiple times that those figures in the sim tools are actually are actually pretty important. And I'm going to guess before it comes out later today that we're going to see a much more 
spread spread even type of uh type of numbers where I'm not sure there's going to be many that are like, oh, they're, they're only 6% chance to be optimal. And, and, a, and a bunch that, you know, people that are going to be 40% chance to be optimal. I think there's going to be a lot of fighters in that like mid-20s range where it almost feels like on this slate, no fighter maybe optimally should be even more than 32% owned or something, something like that. Like really regard, and also, Regardless of price, because you mentioned we got uh, Silva and McCann who have, I mean, I'm looking on my odds sheet right here, plus 210, plus 230 inside the distance, right? And, you know, yeah, Garimbo uh, is minus 130, but like, like all these guys, like, like all these guys in the middle, all these fighters in the 8K range and even in the, the, the mid 7K range. I mean, they have about as much upside as the guy as the, as the fighters in the nine K range. So, regardless of salary, I mean, you could probably build a lineup this week, even using our sim tools, that has a high chance of being optimal. That may even leave almost a thousand on the table. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, that was one of the first things that jumped out at me on the on the slate when I started looking at the the fights. Is like there's there's not much difference between these favorites and these underdogs. Um, and so, you know, when you see it, you don't have like those kind of outlier lines, right? At minus fifteen hundred bow nickel or whatever, right? Where it's like, yeah, it's gonna win like over ninety percent of the time. Um, yeah, you have a bunch of fighters that are gonna win fifty-five percent of the time, but because of the way the pricing works, right? Like there's always like a 95, 94, 93. I mean, not not necessarily every single like increment, um, but there's you know, that's just how they price them, is they they just line up the the win odds, right? And just start at like generally about 95, 9,600 and just, you know, go in order, right? Um, and so like the 85, you know, 87, 88, 8,900 fighters are not as good as they are on most cards. Um, so yeah, like you could see a bunch of, of upsets. And then, you know, when you have a bunch of upsets, you've got a lot of fighters priced below 8,000 that are, you know, you know, putting up high scores now. Um, and then suddenly you've got like the potential for like, a lot of money to be left on the table um so yeah i think it'll be an interesting interesting card from the dfs perspective to see like how much salary is left on the on the winning lineup um you know you don't always have to get the optimal lineup in ufc um especially if you have a bunch of <laughs> if you have a bunch of uh, underdogs winning right because like people generally are not especially if they're using projections they're generally not leaving a ton of salary on the table unless they like force it in and sometimes i think forcing in salary to be left on the table isn't the right call. Um, but I would be more open to leaving salary on the table on this card than I generally would be. Well, we have the main event, five rounds, Nasruddin Imavov versus Roman Delize, $8,600, $7,600 fight. So as the salaries get closer for the five rounder, it gives it more and more of a shot at being in the optimal lineup because compared to price, five rounds to work with. Uh, these guys aren't, I mean, I don't want to call them boring, but like this, this isn't this isn't necessarily going to be a high volume fight. Uh, I'm not. I mean, there could be some wrestling. There could. I mean, this this could go many different ways. But I mean, Emmabov is not as much of a finisher as Delize is. What are the chances? I mean, I mean, I don't. 
did, did I mean, seriously, this is one of the slates where I look at like the fighters in and of themselves and go, I don't trust any of these people, like anyone on the entire slate. Yeah. Uh, but my natural inclination on a slate that's wide open like this is to not just like a lot of people, they go, Oh, I've got to, got to play the five round fight. Got to play the five round fight. Uh, there are instances where this goes five rounds and even Delizia at 7,600 doesn't even make the optimal lineup with like a 90 point score. Uh, how, what, what, what are your thoughts about how, how much priority are you going to put on, on your exposure to the five round fight? And based on our ownership projections, it's 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 not a jam it in like I'm not sure I don't think I, the field is typically going to be over the main event because that's always what happens pretty much but not as over as maybe maybe some some other main events where 95 percent of the lineups have one of the two fighters so my natural inclination on this slate is is if I were to prioritize. I, my my first choice would be to have, with as long as thirteen fights stay on the card, to play neither. My second would be to play Delize, and my third would be play Imovov, only just because Delize is plus one seventy five inside the distance as an underdog. That seventy six hundred getting getting a hundred points at seventy six hundred is like so much more valuable getting a hundred points at, at eighty six hundred. Yeah. So, um, the, yeah, main event, um, I, I'd maybe look at it a little bit differently. Like, it, I might prioritize it a little bit more than you do. I agree with my siding with the Delizze side. Um, it's plus money to go under two and a half rounds. It's also plus money to go over three and a half rounds. So, the Vegas odds are kind of telling us there's a good chance it's going to end in the third round, which is like the worst case scenario for a main, main event fight. Um, so, but there is the possibility, right, that it goes into the fourth round, fifth round, and you get a little bit of a higher score. So I will give it like a little bit of a bump up just based off of that. That might still end with me being under the field. Um, I think Delizze is obviously like more likely to end up on the winning lineup in like a slower paced five round decision type of fight um, just because of price at 7,600. I do think more people are going to go with Imavov, uh, you know, just because he's the main, main event favorite. Uh, and I don't know, like, he is not particularly high-paced. So it's definitely a, fight, a main event fight. You, you know, you can kind of leave it. The, the issue is there's not, like, sometimes we see these main event fights, and it's like, yeah, there's a bunch of other fights that are, you know, really likely to finish inside the distance. So if all of those fights end inside the distance, then you don't need the main event fight. This one, there's not a bunch of fights that are necessarily going to end early. So if this one does go five rounds, like, you could see a 95, 96-point score on the on the winning lineup from the main event. Um, just because there might not be a bunch of other fights to get there. Robbie says uh, you won uh, one million dollars by leaving five k on the table in a two gamer. Yeah, I don't. I don't think you're leaving five k. I don't. I, for, for some reason, I don't think you're leaving five k on the table here. But there are. There, I mean, if you take a look at some. I mean, some of these underdogs. I mean, let's take a look at some of the underdogs that you may be targeting. I know that a lot of times you write. You know an article premium a premium article about you know underdogs that you may i'm not i don't think you're doing it for this slate no but, i think i will yeah oh you you will i mean yeah. we take a look here and 
Yeah, I know we got, you know, obviously the two female underdogs, female fights tend to, you know, go the distance, plus 800, plus 800. But obviously, you know, if either of them win on a high-scoring slate where all the favorites win, getting 78 points from a Belbita or something like that could be could be optimal. Uh, I'm leaning a, a little bit away from uh, Diana Belbita in, in, my, in my lineups because... Uh, I don't know. It's it's the only bias that I have in UFC. Uh, she intended on retiring after her last fight, and now she's one more one more fight. It's uh, the the odds of of I mean it. You see this. It's it's rare. It's sometimes sometimes in their last fight they go out on top. A lot of times, a lot of times they don't. Uh, but some of these odds down here. I mean, we got we got. Uh, Dober plus 175 inside the distance at 7,800. We got Roman, obviously, Delize. We got Brad Key at plus 240. Pete Rodriguez at plus 225. And he's 7K. And he's facing probably going to be the highest owned 9K fighter, one of the highest owned fighters in Themba Garimbo. Of course, Pete Rodriguez's floor is zero because he could just get mauled by Garimbo. But P. Rodriguez is going to just knock the guy out in the first round and score a whole bunch of points. Salikov's at plus 350. Murda, plus 355. I mean, some of these ITD lines are in the 20 to 30% range. And some of these, and these are all underdogs that may not even be 25 to 30% owned. What underdogs are you looking at? Because to me, Pete Rodriguez seems the most appealing because. 31% chance inside the distance, 18% chance of in the first round. These are these are these are offshore odds that I'm I'm using. Uh and they're facing, I mean, like Peter is facing, you know, he could knock off a 40, you know, 35 to 40 percent owned favorite. That seems like the most appealing to me. And and I mean Radke is kind of in the same spot against Urbina. So I think Urbina is going to be close to 30% owned. What are your thoughts down here at, you know, cheap underdogs to use in GPPs? Um, so the one that sticks out to me first is actually uh, Muradov. Uh, he's 7,400. We're not, he's probably the highest, I guess. Um, well, interesting. Belvita's got, got higher ownership than I was expecting. Um, Muradov, I think, has a, like, 130-plus point uh, third three-round decision win. Uh, so that's something that's interesting. There is the concern he's going against uh, Kizriev, uh, Ayashkov Kizriev. So it's grappler versus grappler. And so that there is concern. Like that, that's one of those fights that can be really high scoring um, if one of them keeps getting takedowns. If one of them gets a takedown and they're just grappling around for five, you know, for five minutes, um, could could like stall out. So that's it's a concern, but it's at 7,400. I'm, I'm willing to you know take the risk there. But he's shown a history of at least being able to get there. Um, you know, some of the fighters um, really just don't like. I, I, it's hard, difficult to see a situation other than, um, like Liam says, somebody slips on a banana peel. You never know, right? So Stella Nunez just like fall backwards, dislocate their elbow uh, in the first round once. Um, so you know, if he, if but some of them like, don't have a history of like just having the pace to to get a uh, high score. Um, Jamal Pogues is a heavyweight grappler which is, is interesting you never really expect the heavyweights to be to be grapplers necessarily uh <laughs> so uh um, I'm, I'm using the, the air quotes because 
because uh, Jamal Pogues in his last fight did not even shoot a takedown at all. Although on the contender series, he did. So this is what I mean by, yeah. but when, when we say this is a crappy card, these are a lot of not good. These are low level fighters and low level fighters sometimes think low level. You can't like go in going, Oh yeah, it's obvious they should go in and, and grapple. And then they don't, or it's, it's obvious they should just, they should try to stand and trade. And next thing you know, they're clinching against the fence. I mean, Jamal Pokes is not shown to have great fight IQ in the fights that we've seen. Uh, but he's someone that at the heavyweight level, you, you make a point. Grapplers at the heavyweight division, you know, have a natural advantage because the guys are so heavy that it's very hard to get up when you get taken down. So we find that in the heavyweight division that grapplers, if you have a grappling advantage, it's so much bigger than at the lower weights if he decides to grapple. But he's up against Peterson, who can also do that a little bit as well. These these are not good. I just want to be clear. These are not good fighters. Thomas Peterson's coming off the contender series, right? His, 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 his fights outside of UFC were against, like, no one. Like, it's against, like, me and you. Good luck figuring out what's going to happen. This like, I mean, I just, I just want to pre- put the preamble that it's like, oh, like the things that we're talking about, like these are all untrustworthy fighters. Yeah, absolutely. But it, it does like that opens up variance. And so like, if ownership is going to concentrate around like the main event favorites and maybe one or two of the favorites, uh, you know, the stronger favorites, like I think this is a wide open card um, with, with heavyweights, like, like you said, and, you know, that control time adds up, but it doesn't add up, right? If, if the fighter is, like, 9,500 uh, and they've got, like, incredible odds to win, but, like, they're probably just going to be getting a lot of control time, like, that's an unappealing fight. Um, at 7,500, like, that control time does start to add up into, like, a, a winning score. Um, so, yeah, I agree. Like, if folks can get a couple takedowns, so, you know, starts to get control time, and, like, heavyweights can knock each other out. Um, even you know from the from the grappling positions or whatever. So, um, so yeah, I, I think he's an, an interesting fighter to you know to take a chance on it at seventy five hundred. Plus, his only play is plus one forty three. I mean, the thing is on this slate is that like the fighters that are. I mean, Muradov, you mentioned before, it's like okay, yeah, he's plus three five fifty five inside the distance, but he's plus one twenty six to win seventy four hundred forty four percent now. If you're playing smaller field, let's talk about this, John. If you're playing smaller field contests where you may not even have to come close to the optimal to win, I would be much more likely, like I mentioned Pete Rodriguez, right? Leverage on Garimbo, but plus 210 just to win. And his floor is zero, essentially. I'd be much more likely to, play guys like Muradov and Pogues who have a much likelier chance to win. Maybe they win and only score 70 points, but you get that and like a hundred points out of the other spots. You could win the 555. I mean, you, I mean, I've literally won the 555 with a losing fighter before. So like I prioritize in smaller field contests, guys that are, if I had a choice, I want more, a little bit more win equity. Right. Like in a smaller field contest, I wouldn't I wouldn't have a problem like not playing Pete Rodriguez. It doesn't mean you play Garimbo, but 
that that's the type of contest where I'm more likely to just play Natalia Silver at 9,500. And if she scores like 93 points, like I could, I could win a 200 person field contest with that score, but probably not going to be optimal at that score either. As long as I get six high enough scoring wins or five absurd wins and one like kind of like crappy win, like you could win those contests that way. And for small field, I think it's even more open to what you want to do because I mean, like, dude, even Viviana Rajo, I know she's older. Uh, I know Silva's uh, an up and comer, but I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd be, I'd, I'd be prioritizing fights that are more likely to go the distance. Like as that max sum at 8,900 minus 225, but he's plus set 275 inside the distance. If he wins via decision, he may not have the greatest of scores, but you know, if Grimbo loses, if the, you know, Moicano loses, we have to talk about him. I mean, just getting six wins in a small field contest is, I mean, puts you in contention no matter what the scores are. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a really good strategy. Um, I think, and I agree, like, you can spend up for Natalia Silva maybe more often in the 555 where you just want to win. Um, she's probably not going to be necessarily higher owned in the 555 than she is in, like, the $15, $20 contest. Um, but that win probably goes farther for you in the 555 because um, she's someone that, that's, like, not necessarily likely to get the first round finish. Um, yeah, as you kind of see in the 15% ownership projection. Um, but yeah, you and then, like we said, it's like that difference between being optimal and being in the winning lineup for your contest, right? Um, she's like probably not going to be that high to be optimal. She's 9,500, but she's like got a good chance to be in the winning lineup, particularly in smaller field contests. Um, I was actually going to go the other side of the, the as it Maxim and Charles Johnson fight and say like, like Johnson, the guy said 7,300, he generally doesn't put up the highest like scores, not the highest scoring fighter. Um, it's a, even at 7,300, he's maybe doesn't have a, in a win, doesn't have that great a chance of being optimal, but he has a pretty good chance, you know, in a smaller field contest of getting, get you a win of 7,300. That probably is enough to, to be in the winning lineup, not necessarily like the absolute optimal lineup. Um, so yeah, he's a fighter that I'd be interested in. And then like the flip side, kind of like you said, like the Moicano, Drew Dover, like Drew Dover is a fighter that I think I'd be more interested in in the $15, $20, like the, yeah, you got to be 30,000 people. So if he wins, there's a chance that it's going to be an early win. Like that that fight could end early. Um, I drew Dover for his price and for being an underdog. Still has about a 20% chance of winning in the first round, um, you know, which would definitely put him on the, the winning lineup. Uh, or like, you know, goes a long way to putting him in, on the winning lineup at 7,800. Um, but maybe that's a fighter that I'm not as interested in, uh, in like the 555, where you don't have to be perfect. Right, because I think Moicano's ownership is going to skyrocket with the line value moving in his favor, right? If they repriced it based on the lines now, he would be an $8,800 fighter and not an $8,400 fighter. He's plus 100 inside the distance now, which is the second best on the slate. Like, this is the fight, the Drew Dober-Moicano fight is the fight that's left the most likely to end inside the distance on the entire card. But that also makes the floor of both fighters, like, essentially zero, uh, the other fight that could go either way. I'm I'm interested. This women's fight right in the middle, Stoliarenko versus Carolina. Uh, Stoliarenko puts up big scores because her primary method of winning 
is by armbar. And that basically that's that's literally like that's pretty much all she does. So basically, if she gets a first round armbar at 8,200, she's probably scoring 100 plus points. But if she doesn't, I mean, essentially, I mean, essentially, I mean, I almost consider her a knockout or bust type of fighter. Yeah. Because if she doesn't get a first round armbar, she typically loses the fight. And Luana Carolina is an untrustworthy fighter who doesn't gra- doesn't have if she's on the mat, she's dead. But she has like a 75 plus percent takedown defense. And Stoliarenko is not a stand-up fighter. And she's been locked out three times. Uh I know it's plus 575 inside the distance, but at I mean. I see so many more people going for a plus 115 inside the distance line. It's the third best on the slate, but I, I'm not a big fan. Like my, 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 how I structure my MMA strategy as a whole is that I tend to avoid round one or bust fighters when they're chalky and play them when they're not chalky, right? Kind of like the Robbie Ray rule. Jeez would always say that. I always quote that rule of like the. With the high variance fights, the high variance fighters, I want to take when people are afraid of the variance, not when people are like embracing the variance. So, like, if Stoliarenko is going to be close to 30% owned and she pretty much has a five minute window to score 100 points or pretty much bust, I, I don't mind taking a shot on Carolina. I mean, I, uh, either that or just like fading the fight because it's not like if this is a three round victory for Carolina. I mean, it may only be a 68-point win. I mean, like, it's not like she's going to be, she's going to score a bunch of points. But I think maybe the field is a little too confident on someone that essentially, essentially is not a very good wrestler, right? And really relies on just one move in order to win fights. I agree, yeah. The analogy you made to, like, the knockout or bust type fighter, like, statistically, she kind of, like, looks like one of those, like, you know, heavyweights, right? That's, you know, well, you know, low volume, but can get the first round finish, you know, their first round knockout. Well, instead of getting the knockdown, she's going to maybe get the takedown in the arm bar, which I think is what she did to, to Molly McCann um, last fight. So in, in both of their last fights. So I agree. I'd actually kind of rather be over on Carolina, Luana Carolina, Carolina, than, um, than Stoliarenko, uh, just because like, yeah, Stoliarenko isn't going to put up a, a like a high score if she doesn't get that first round finish. Um, yeah, she is, she is like first round or bust. Um, I think like, you know, just, I, I don't get in, super into the tape study, right? But, um, you know, looking at her record and just, you know, watching stuff, I that she's doesn't necessarily have the cardio to go like full three rounds. Like she's got to get that arm bar early or she's probably going to get, uh, you know, going to wear out as the fight goes on. Um, so I agree. I think Luana Carolina is a good leverage play there. Um, you could also just, kind of avoid the fight um just because it, it could be lower paced lower volume uh and so like priced in the middle range there it's tough like like caroline is the leverage play but like even if she doesn't put up a high score and win she's still like eight thousand. so it's not like she's like 7200 or something where she can get there pretty easily in a low scoring win right i would consider carolina more of an option in smaller field contests yeah, or if she yeah, gets an eighty-point yeah. win, I'm. I, and if Stoliarenko's actually owned, like, I could win the five fifty-five with an eighty-point eight K fighter if I do well in all my other spots. But for the large field, 
Like she's going to have to kind of knock her out. She's going to kind of have to, you know, get it. Especially on a slate, especially when we take a look at a slate where we're mentioning all these underdogs. I mean, this literally could be a slate where six, seven, eight underdogs win. Yep. Right. And if Carolina is one of those winners and she's like the sixth best score out of the underdogs, it's like, it's not going to matter because all these other people are, are cheaper than her. And I'll say like Carolina, just on the side, if I play more Carolina, that uh, when you see a fighter uh, kind of unexpectedly put up a higher pace is often when the other fighter is very tired. Um, so if, if the opponent does, you know, Stoyarenko does wear out, say in the third round, like Carolina may not have a high score in the first round, second round, but like Stoyarenko, you know, does get, does gas out. Um, that, yeah, exactly. Like, and that's when you see like these kind of unexpected, you're like, oh, I, I didn't think that this fighter was that high of a pace. And then, well, yeah, they, they got to like, they got 60 significant strikes in the last two minutes, you know, because their, their opponent was gassed out. Um, and that's when you can see that that kind of lopsided score. And she, I mean, she's going to show up with like very low ownership. Um, you know, I, I think Sonia Renko, it's basically a toss up fight. Um, but I think probably because of the inside the distance and being slight favorites, Sonia Renko is almost three times the ownership of Carolina, which I can actually, you know, see playing out uh, when we get the actual ownership. So, I agree. Like being over the field in Carolina there is probably a, a better decision than trying to be over the field in Sonia Renko. Uh, so tomorrow, uh, three o'clock p.m. Eastern, you will be on with H3 Buddha, Mike Brown. Uh, crunch time. Obviously, the weigh-ins will come in if uh, you know lines will move and everything. Uh, obviously, Mike is a, is a much more uh, of, of a tape person than than me and you are. We're kind of like I take a look at the numbers and. We take a look at our sim simulation tools and that's all we kind of need. Uh, so uh, people could tune in tomorrow to that on the channel. So subscribe, hit that like button, right? If you want that, but uh, you'll also be on, on, on crunch time for uh, tonight for NBA. Uh, is there anything that we should be paying attention to? Cause obviously 11 o'clock in the morning, NBA DFS, what's the point? Like what's let's just let's just literally what's the point? Look at what happened with Evan Mobley yesterday. I mean, what, what just literally what's the like? Just the injury report is a is a work of fiction. So what's the point? But is there anything that we should be uh, uh, looking out for today as far as people that could be in, people that could be out, uh, value plays that might open up, or you know, what what are the you know, the top options on the slate as of now? And an overall view of the the because it's a pretty big slate. I mean, uh, DraftKings is uh, knocking off the the very late game, but uh, but we, we have a lot of high totals and uh, a lot of a, a lot of good plays on the slate. Yeah, it's actually it's a pretty interesting NBA slate. I I like them topping off the last game. Um, this tonight's slate, I mean, it's kind of a good example. Like Jokic is questionable uh, this last game, and so it, that is something we do not have to worry about. You know, to the nine o'clock game. Um, you know, if you're, if you're, you know, staying in, maybe you're on like, you know, Pacific time or whatever, and you want to play that showdown, you can play the showdown. Um, but it's something you don't have to like stay in to, to late swap your lineups. What if Yogi is out? Um, I, so I, I'm in favor of that. And then especially when it gets to like the 10 o'clock, 1030 on, and especially on Fridays, uh, let people go out, right. And enjoy their, their dinner. Um, so there are a couple of games that have really high totals, uh, so the, uh, two games at 7.30. It's uh, Sacramento and, and Indiana, super high total. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton's questionable. 
Uh, but he's been playing when he's been playing, he hasn't been playing full minutes yet. Um, Phoenix Atlanta, also a really high total. Uh, those are not like the, the games that are popping in optimal lineups. Uh, when I run some optimal lineups, I'm getting a lot of Shea Gilgis Alexander. I think, yeah, we're showing him there with like over 41% ownership. I don't like that. Uh, the, the huge difference between his projection and his player props. Uh, so if you want to maybe like bet the over on his his player props, bet you know go you know way under ownership. Um, I think that's a path you can take. He like it, if you look at his player props, like converted like a fantasy you know FanDuel or DraftKings score, um, it is much lower than we're we're seeing in projections. I like the idea of being under the field on Shea Gilgis Alexander and going to some of the other spend ups, um, especially from those higher total games like it's bonus deer and Fox. Um, and if from the Phoenix Atlanta game where you're seeing a lot of ownership is Bradley Beal, and I don't necessarily agree with that because a lot of it is from you know, the, the super high total of the game. If Beal is like the most affordable of the Kevin Durant, uh, Devin Booker, Bradley Beal trio, um, I'd much rather take you know take some of the ownership, Shea just Alexander. Don't use it on Bradley Beal. Like use it on Kevin Durant or, or Devin Booker. Uh, kind of prefer Kevin Durant just because uh, he's cheaper now than, than Booker and fills the forward positions. Um, but yeah, like you said, it, like I get on the five o'clock Grinders live um, with, uh, you yeah, know, with Dean and I'm like, this is too early to be talking about basketball because <laughs> we don't, we don't have the five thirty injury report yet. Um, you know, things really kind of start and get, get moving with NBA with that five thirty injury report. You usually get some surprises, especially on a larger slate. Um, but yeah, the, just the, the, the higher total games are something that, that drew my eye, especially if they're not seeing a ton of ownership. Uh, so I like the idea. And that Shea Gillers Alexander is seeing a ton, a ton of ownership. It's generally just first thought is I like taking some of that ownership that's going to, you know, SGA and spreading it out among the other high price guys. It also looks like that Fred Van Vliet is popping at point guard for the Rockets, 6,900. Uh, in the projections, Sengun, Sengun is uh, questionable at 8,700. So, uh, I mean, that's obviously something to look out for. But, I mean, Houston doesn't have, like, the highest total. But, I mean, I mean, is it is is it, this wouldn't this be considered a revenge game? Is the revenge game narrative already already built into our projections? I don't know. It's Fred Van Vliet uh, uh, playing against Toronto, right? I don't know if he has already played against Toronto or whatever, but. I don't know. I just, I 6,900. It, it seemed, I mean, right. These are our, just our initial projections. Uh, but to me, those would be the things to look at. I mean, other than that, then the injury report, Zion is questionable. Barrett is questionable. Uh, we got some, you know, we got, you know, Jordan Poole. I mean, son, we got enough. Yeah, there's enough people on the, on the injury report that, like you said, even at five o'clock when you do grinders live, sometimes you're like, it's too early. Yeah. Uh, 1130 in the morning. It's, it's kind of too early. That's why you sign up for Roto grinders premium, right? You get lineup HQ, you get our projections, you get our, what if projections, right? Our projections team comes up with what would it be if Barrett is out? What would it be if Shengun is out? all the, the major situations? Yes. They will update when the news happens, but if you want to get ahead of that news, look at the, what if projections and say, Oh, this is the these are the guys. This is the, how the projections would look with those guys. So you get a little bit more prepared. But our projections team is is they basically works like twelve hours a day, like from the start till the end, adjusting everything as news comes out, as uh, you know the usage rates and rebound. They're always arguing about stuff in the projections room. 
about, uh, you know, minutes and everything and rotations. So if you want all of that, not all that knowledge is, is in the projections. That's why, that's why I use them. I use them also to, to, to bet on, on the NBA. And, uh, we actually have, you know, the fantasy pick them tool for prize picks, underdog, DraftKings pick six. I don't know if you heard, uh, John, yesterday, me and Will talked about strategy for the pick six on yesterday's show. Uh, that made that once it comes to Kentucky, I think I'm going to be playing a bunch of that. Uh, and also we have our, our expert picks in the props and pick them package. So even if you're not playing NBA DFS, and I admit, I freely admit, I'm the I, NBA DFS, I, I know they're starting to, to to lop off these late games, which is going to make it easier. I still, I'm, I'm, I, the, I, I'm used to not having the headache. I'll just bet the player props, right? I'll just bet the player props. Don't have to switch lineups. Don't have to late swap. Don't have to nothing. I use our statistical projections. And uh, so far this season, I've been doing pretty well, right? Just using that. Our projections team is top notch. So, John, uh, Anything else NBA-wise today? Uh, Jordan Poole looks like he's going to play. So, uh, oh, okay. Kyle Kuzma less attractive than he was. Actually, okay. I, well, I mean, he's already like, in the projection. I mean, the Jordan Poole's yeah. already in the projections, so it's already yeah. factored in. If you can get some Kyle Kuzma unders, maybe on the player props. Uh, well, it's probably already fat. It's already factored. It's probably already factored in into into the line, yeah. right? I mean, that's kind of the only. That's the only caveat when you're doing props using our projections is just make sure you know who's projected in when you're looking at the bridge. Like right now, the Houston projections have Sangoon in the, the Pelicans projections have Williamson in. So if you see anything, you know, oh, this line is way off. Like maybe the line is that you're seeing in the sports books is considering that sign is going to be out. And that's why you're getting all these, you know, all these unders for, for everyone else on the Pelicans. And then when Zion is ruled in five hours from now and you bet on all those unders, you know, you, you either, either you're good or you're bad, right? He's ruled out and then you're screwed, right? So always pay attention to that type of stuff. A lot of times you don't have to worry about it because the books have gotten a little bit more proactive into just basically throwing their hands up and go, if we're not sure, we just don't put numbers up. So a lot of times I go and go, well, I think that, this guy may play. Let me go. And then you just like, like this, the Rockets props just don't exist. Right. On some books, on some books, they do go yeah. find him. <laughs> yeah. I think that a lot of times they also, they'll put a prop up for the questionable player and that's it. So I think we've got like Shingun props, uh, but maybe not props on the rest of the Rockets. Um, I right. do actually like Shingun overs. <laughs> um, if, especially if Yaka uh, Pirtle's out. Uh, Toronto has been rebounding since like him and Siakam left the team uh so yeah shingun somebody to keep in mind for player props or uh for dfs mr shatter dog did the did the thing that i highly suspected right any any to any time right i was on vacation right i said i said you were on shows like every show i'm like i'm on i'm going on vacation i go and like if you watch the show regularly you should know why i'm i didn't i didn't die i didn't get fired but no mr shatter dog he figured that I got that. Roto Grinder said, "No more, no more blender." Some people would like that. I think there's some. There's some. I got some haters out there that would that would be like, "Oh, okay, we don't." Have, uh, to be fair, John, I don't have that many haters on like what I talk about. I have a lot of haters on the sound of my voice. Oh, come on! 
Uh, I can't see that. Uh, no, I've seen, I've seen a lot. I've over the years. I've been at Roto Grinders for almost almost five years now. It feels it feels it doesn't feel that long. There, I've seen plenty of comments on you know that I'm just you know looking around or whatever. It's like, yeah, I agree with that guy says, but boy, is his voice annoying. I can't see that. We we live in a tenuous world though, a tenuous industry. So uh, yeah, people disappear. <laughs> but I'd, I'd rather that be the thing that people hate. I mean, to me, I could deal with. It's like okay. I don't like the 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 annoying Jewish New York accent, but the guy actually makes good points. I'm, okay, I that's it's much better than I love the sound of his voice, but boy, how stupid he is! You know, like like I, I that I I wouldn't care. And you're not in New York; you're in uh, Kentucky, right? Yeah, but I'm from New York, right? Yeah. That's I mean, that's what I sound like. No one here in Kentucky thinks I'm from here, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okie doke. So, John, you'll be on Crunch Time later tonight. Yep. Uh, crunch Time, 6.30. I should know this. <laughs> probably probably 6.20, <laughs> 6.15. I don't know. So, 6 uh, will be yeah, on Crunch Time. Uh, it's 7 o'clock, box, so yeah. Um, probably 6.15, 6.20. Um, yeah, and then the MMA article is actually coming out. No football this weekend. It's our first show, first Friday show without like a football slate to worry about on you know Saturday or Sunday. Um, so yeah, getting back to the to the takedowns article for for UFC, it's like that's one of my favorite articles to write. I will say there are some weeks, some cards where it's like, oh man, I gotta like, I gotta find just you know a couple of underdogs to write up. This week, it's hard to write up the favorites. Uh, yeah, it's hard to find the the favorites that I really like rather than the underdogs. Um, so yeah, looking forward to to getting that in. Get the, you know, we'll have the regular NBA written content out, and then yeah, um, on. Uh, 3 p.m. You got the UFC show. Give the uh, ground and pound a listen. Um, if before the the pre lock show for for UFC tomorrow, um, you know Mike and, and Liam do an excellent job of like breaking down the fights from a a fantasy perspective. So definitely give that ground and pound podcast a listen. I'm going to be listening to that at some point today. Um, yeah. So but good good weekend for sports. Uh, even though there's no football, we got basketball going on. We got golf. We got the UFC. So there's a lot to a lot of uh, DFS. DFS slates out there. And don't worry about, about NFL. Next week, we'll we'll talk about the Super Bowl showdown contest. And uh, you, you'll get your NFL fix until we go back to Fridays just being MMA, NBA. Now, baseball. Baseball's coming back. Baseball's back. And Next it's month. better than ever. I can't wait. See, baseball, I don't mind. I'll play DFS in baseball because, like, it's not chaotic. And also, the prop... Yeah. I. Baseball props have been good for me for the past several years. And uh, there's, there's less, you know, is this guy in? Is this guy out? I can just go, here's all the pitcher props. Here you go. I'll vomit them all out, you know, and you're done. The first few weeks of playing baseball, I put my lineups in, and I, I feel like I need to be doing something. I don't I don't have to do anything. I'm just like, oh, that's it. <laughs> I'm, I'm done. I, I got to pay attention. If somebody gets scratched, I got to swap in his replacement that's it uh and i also like I'll, I'll go wander around my house for like 15 20 minutes after lock and then i'll look at my phone i'm like oh my god there's all this stuff happening why is there all this stuff happening oh they they started the game when they said they were going to start the game <laughs> unlike basketball right like oh 705 first pitch somebody threw a, a baseball at 705 it's crazy Okay, doke. Hit that thumbs up button on your way out the door. Hit the subscribe button if you're new here. Hit the notification bell to always know when we go live on the channel. 
I'm back, people. I'm not dead. I didn't get fired. I'm not. I'm back, and we're back. Normal schedule. Obviously, we may, there'll be a couple of days off for uh, the NBA All Star break, but I'm back. I'm here Monday through Friday, eleven o'clock Eastern, talking about all things you're thinking about in daily fantasy props and pick them on Roto Grinders today. <laughs> 